Hi, hier ist Florian mit einem neuen Podcast-Guest. So, I will say, introduce yourself. Christoph Magnussen, I'm the CEO and founder of Blackboard and I'm co-host in the On the Way to New Work podcast. And I have to add, by heart, I'm a filmmaker. I have a YouTube channel. That's my true passion, <laughs> even if we're a small YouTube channel. But uh, yeah, that's what I do. So... How did you become a podcaster? How did you become a filmmaker? <laughs> That's a story. Um, I studied business in, in St. Gallen, Switzerland, and started the first job in Wiesbaden, consulting. And um, I still remember that I was quite frustrated in the consulting. And my boss, who was also my mentor at a certain point, I, I stumbled upon the uh, very first, um, one of the very first inspirational videos on YouTube uh, in 2006 that was the amendment speech by Steve Jobs who said follow your heart and your intuition and then the next day I told my boss oh Jochen I'm gonna quit um, and he like what why do you do that um, I said yeah I'm gonna start my own business that's how I started a business but the journey was not as straight as planned so um, two other startups in between one is still alive with very good people 150 people um, who make a tremendous job um, but I like uh, stepped out of the managing director role um, and started Blackboard um, like 10 years in between up and down with all the stuff as an entrepreneurial roller coaster at a certain point we stumbled into this new way of working thing with tools which I did on YouTube but from these YouTube videos a podcast arose because Michael my podcast partner and I were on the way to New York to um, talk about new work and um, I made a typo being a dyslexic um, in the subtitles and then uh, the podcast afterwards was called On the Way to New Work instead of the subtitles On the Way to New York which we originally wanted to have. That's how I became a podcaster. So um, the first company you you founded, uh, what was it about? And, uh, the very first one was a catering business okay. in, in back in school um, and actually quite profitable because It was um, a business partner of mine, Annalena, and I, who managed a group of people, like up to 30 people, organizing uh, catering for like um, car dealers, architect offices, and stuff like that. And uh, since my dad had a, um, um, a beer trading business, I always knew when someone had to open a yeah. new shop or something and I was always offering and they were super happy with like young male and female um, waiters who came from school but didn't do it as a, as a real job so they were all very passionate with the, with the job so that was the first business and um, then we started a event business Kappe Noctem that's how it's called um, with Alexander Graf who's the CEO of Spryker he was my very first real business partner real meaning there was a company behind it And we were organizing events. Um, that was a good time, also back in school. And I thought, like, oh, I make money with that, so that's an easy way. And then my mom said, oh, that's good. If you make your own money, then we can inherit everything to your brother. So um, <laughs> and I said, mm, okay, then maybe I go studying. And um, then I, I started, I said I want to do something um, um, different. Um, I didn't do it topic-wise. Today I would study a different topic, but... Um, But I went to Zangan, and I'm from Kiel originally. To me, it was a long distance, so um, that's how I ended up studying in Zangan. So that's that was the beginning. And after Zangan, I started a company with a guy who met at the university on the first day, Adrian Locher, also quite successful entrepreneur, I have to say, um, much more successful than I am, um, and and a great guy, a good soul as well. Um, and we started a. Um, Yeah, what would you call it? Ambassador marketing business. One of the very first ambassador marketing businesses. Um, and our lucky punch was that we brought Mark Zuckerberg to Germany. So we helped Facebook to launch in Germany in 2008. Um, and then wanted to start bringing that ambassador business um, to the digital world, so more social media. But we were like four years too early for Facebook marketing and stuff like that. There were companies after us coming Who are that are much more successful um, like we were too early with that. How did you got the deal to help Facebook to launch in, in Germany? Like we, like Back then, Facebook wasn't that big. I mean, oh, it was big. It was big. Like It was big in the startup scene. So you knew there were four years on the market. You knew, okay, something is happening. Yeah. 
And um, if you remember StudiVZ back then, it they was, had uh, so-called campus captains. That was a concept. And this concept of um, you use an influencer in a certain target group, we were using in the party business before. With Alexander Graf and I, we had a network in Kiel of people who we gave the tickets for the parties we were organizing and say, hey, you can, you can sell the ticket. Um, you get 50, I think back then it was pence, um, uh, share in every sold ticket. But the more important thing is you can choose who should come. Yeah. And with that, we always had enough pre-sale before a party um, to actually be um, break even. So um, this concept came to our ambassador concept. So we had students at different universities um, using their laptops as an advertising um, screen, um, showing that they are ambassador for a certain brand. And we did that with different so brands. You did a sticker on the laptop. And laptop, t-shirt, right. stuff yeah. like that. So with Debitel, Freenet, Debitel, Mobilcom, we did a campaign where you could actually buy SIM cards at the students. So they were hosts for them. And yeah. Facebook, uh, the, the right hand of Mark, Javier Olivan, still a very successful Facebook manager, um, he gave me a phone call. I was in vaca on vacation and, and I received a call saying, yeah, I'm, I'm here from Facebook, um, blah, blah, blah. And I was at first, okay, that's a joke. But he actually found out about that we have students and someone told him you should talk to these guys. Um, this is how we ended up with. And um, cool. the bad thing is that we couldn't um, manage to negotiate shares into that uh, because <laughs> the, all the share deals were over, he told me by then. So we were paid in actual uh, money, not in shares. Yeah, quite a bit like. Uh, if I remember right, uh, StreetVZ had a similar, like I think the founders also had originally a, a social network for parties as well in the area of Mannheim, if I remember yeah. correctly. So they were kind of in the same space. So it seems like the party network or students network is like a good network to start something like that. Because Facebook started also the universities originally. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So the cycle closes the, again, and um, then you, you did the you did the um, the event agency or like this this ambassador network on the side uh, during your studies, right? Um, the the actual agency that was after the studies. So oh, okay. um, the party business was before that, right yeah. before that, and then I studied um, three three years or something like that. Um, which was like quite absorbing, very intense studies. And then um, I went to my first job, I think for a year or a year and a half, and then kicked off this this idea of um, building brand ambassador network. Um, we stopped that in 2000, oh, was it nine? When the crisis hit in the advertising industry, we were like too small to actually so, go yeah. through that. So we stripped everything down. One of my um, like leading employees stayed with the company. He's now managing director at Blackboard, so also yeah. quite a while. Um, and um, I went on to um, join a company for refurbishment, which started in refurbishing electronics, especially phones. Where we were, I knew the model from the States, and yeah. I knew it, it would get and grow very fast if you have the operations right. And um, even if I'm a creative by heart, uh, people know me as the very strict operations guy, um, using cloud tools to optimize processes, being super strict on communication internally, especially with tools. So the founder, Chris Wolf, asked me if I would join the founding team to help scale because back then we were like 20 people or not even. Um, and today we're 150 in that company, 150 something. Um, and um, yeah, we grew it from like under a million to like 32, 33 when I left and, and um, it's even bigger now, much bigger now. Um, but there was like super um, fast turning uh, refurbishment business with a lot of learnings in between there. And uh, yeah, from that Blackboard started because I was using these cloud tools also back then with my first company with Salesforce very early on and stuff like that. That's how Blackboard then grew out of that. Cool. So you as a scaling expert, how I learned now, um, what would you say were like your three biggest uh, key points to scale organization? You said already mm. tools, so can you elaborate a bit? Mm. I wouldn't say I'm the scaling expert. Um, that company scale, I would say scale um, happens um, sometimes very fast. There is this new book from Reid Hoffman, uh, 
I think he calls it blitz scaling in his book. Yeah. I'm very critic of that. Um, once I don't like the name um, because I think the association is really bad in history, <laughs> um, but that's okay. I can I can live with that. But the idea of scaling for the sake of scaling, I think, is very dangerous. What of course is the idea is that you're big enough to dominate a market. Um, I don't see size as the main factor. It's so easy for people to just measure in size because we learned it, like in numbers and stuff like that. Let me redefine it. Like how I scaling define is that scaling in the ideal world is driven by the market. So you not scale because you want to scale. Yeah. You get such a demand inside your company that you need to scale to yeah. keep up with it. And then mm -hmm. you get this pain automatically because you need to kind of provide yeah. more of your services even if it was not yeah. meant to be from that in the beginning in this amount of I would say like um, that was just that one company the refurbishment company that, that had such a demand from the market to scale yeah. the other ones too slow and now I could say mm, the other business models are not successful or not um, let's talk about the scaling part then um, to me the scaling is people driven so I was using tools um, for example back then um, G Suite back then Google Apps how it was called um, because it was the only cloud platform putting everything that is not part of the core business to the cloud which is standard today but like 10 12 years ago people were saying oh you're nuts or even further ago um, and um, helping people to use it in the most efficient way. This is still not happening these days. So if a company goes to Office 365 or G Suite or even Slack, uh, people think, oh, I can use it, it's so easy, but people just don't use it in the right way. Even WhatsApp is used in the wrong way sometimes, like when you have groups that don't stop communicating or you don't have a group for a certain reason or stuff like that, simple stuff. So I was always focusing on how can these tools help us to scale and Communication to me is one of the key parts of scaling because the larger you get, the, 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 the thing that we've seen, for example, I was measuring in the background the amount of communication in, in, in Google Apps, in documents and mails, and you could see plateaus. So with 20 people, you had a plateau and then you it kicked off to 60 people and then you had another plateau. And so communication expands, not exponentially, but in like close to exponential manners. And... Um, I, I said, like, this this is super dangerous because we die because people jo just don't talk or don't get the things right or are not transparent enough. So um, that was what I was looking for, helping people to use it in the right way and, and establishing tools in a way that they force you to open up more automatically. And we talk about pre-slack time. So there was no group messaging tools. You had to kind of build that up. And... Um, You can do that with an email as well, like using group mails instead of just one mail, but you need more stricter rules. And um, this is how my scaling experience went. So with the same amount of people, a better amount of communication, better information flow, and with that, more profit, more money. How did you motivate people to communicate more, to open up more? Um, back, I give them the background. Like with Blackboard, we live that now. I wanted to find a company after um, after my refurbishment company that lives that, that has it built in in the DNA. So here we teach it to other companies and, and we live it. But I had to do a lot of workshops and I did them all by myself. Like I was so convinced that it's so important that I explained people, see, if you communicate in an asynchronous way, so let's say in written or reading, um, you need much better stuff like transparent channels to like see what is happening and it will help every one of us. But the training I provided back then is, okay, how do you deal with criticism in a public channel? When do you take it offline? When do you say in the channel, hey, let's synchronize in order to get that conflict out of this channel and stuff like that. So that was the, what the training was focusing on, not on this is a button and there you can upload a file. Mm. So this is what's still happening at many companies today who implement these tools and think with a tool it will change it won't would you say it's better that like people can uh, moderate the channels themselves or would you say it's better that the ceo does moderation or would you say it's better to have like some dedicated people for that mm -hmm. communication officers i don't know how you want to call them what would you say is the best experience if you say it's mainly about um being aware of if something goes wrong mm -hmm. 
definitely depends. I know it's a stupid answer, but it definitely depends. It comes it's like from company culture. It comes from policies you have in the company, from willingness of the leadership team. You definitely need someone on top who really pushes it, ideally manages it. But even like we have 30 people and I don't have the chance to manage that anymore. Yeah. Like with yeah. 30 people, you need someone who, who's dedicated and you want to build it as part of your culture. You want to establish it as an everyday attitude that the people live. So you can set up certain tools in a way that people get used to it more and more. So one simple example, we have the same syntax for folders and files that we have in client projects in Google Drive as we have as Slack channels. So it's very easy as a new person to like see what is connected in both worlds. Another example, um, we have a very simple emergency rule. Um, it comes from this urban legend of having a red phone between the Kremlin and um, the White House yeah. between Moscow and Washington, which is an urban legend. In, in, in the real life, we have Twitter, as we learned. <laughs> um, but um, but the idea is good, like saying, I pick up the phone and say, hey, I didn't shoot the rockets. Um, so we call it the two times call rule. So whenever someone calls you twice, whoever it is, you it's an emergency. Yeah. You signal, this is an emergency, call me back right away or pick up the phone when you see it the second time. So if I would sit in the podcast now, it's like my phone is off, but if someone would call me two times, I know it's an emergency. And we talk about then an emergency, let's say um, life or death situation, uh, someone erased YouTube channel, uh, I don't know, like yeah. something like that. So this is, um, yeah, this is more, so we believe more in certain rules that give you guidance that help you. Um, not single person depends on how the company is structured of who should have responsibility for that but it should become part of the culture definitely if you would say like that you should do as much as possible online or like in a shared space mm -hmm. and um, also as transparent as possible mm -hmm. do you have the issue that like stuff gets too complicated too much data too much information it's too hard to dig through it or is this not an issue mm. There's this great invention in the year 2019. It's called Search. <laughs> and I always have to promote that because people then say, hey, we know that. And I ask, do you have folders in your email? And then say, yeah, of course. I have folders to put the project made. And I said, that's bullshit. Like, these folders are for nothing. Yeah, but I need to find stuff. Bullshit. You're not, you didn't even try to use the search in a proper way. So with the modern cloud tools, let's say G Suite, I mean, Google invented the web search, as a, not invented, but like, you know, the, the modern search, um, even with Microsoft Office 365, you have a tool called Delve, um, where uh, artificial intelligence helps you to like sort the stuff in the background. And if you use the web browser for the mail, instead of the client that you're used to with Outlook, then you have much, much better search power. So um, I'd say... I don't sort anything anymore. We have certain project folders, but I just search for stuff. Photos, videos, files, everything. And, and we upload every bit of video we record. And I tell you, we are recording videos with a RED, which is 5K. So if we film for one day, we have two, yeah. one to two terabyte data per day. And we can search it. It works. <laughs> Then I have another question. Like my experience with search... Um, it's kind of frustrating. So if you know there should be something and you're trying to find the right keywords and you're looking through it and it's a typical, like it doesn't matter if you use Google or Evernote, like if it doesn't there, if it's not there in the five, next five hits, yeah, you, have to, you have to choose to, like, to go to several pages down, try different keywords, but you're just digging into a big, big pile of data. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to make a, a solution for that in one of the startups, but like, It was too difficult. But how do you solve this issue? I write a very nasty comment in Slack to everyone. Where is this fucking <laughs> um, And then someone uh, sends me a screencast how he is searching with just another word and finds it in a second. So exactly. it backfires to me. Um, so usually it's me um, searching for the, right, the wrong keyword, um, not looking at the right spot. Lately, there have been issues in the, in the Google search and drive, but uh, we are a small Google partner, but from social media, we have such a reach that they, they listen, hopefully, in this case, and, and they are aware of that. And same as Microsoft, they're constantly evolving their tools, and it's how do you use it? So 
One example, if you're a, a G Suite user, you should use the cloud search, which is laying above the G Suite because yeah. it searches calendar, mail, and everything yeah. at the same time. The drive search is poor compared to that. Um, if you um, are a Microsoft user, you definitely want to work with Delph. If you're an admin, don't shut it off. If you were uh, the data protection officer in the company, read what it is and see what's the potential behind it. Search and, and not foldering stuff away is important these days to focus on the core job. And also for inspiration, I sometimes just scroll through the feed of documents that I worked on in the company to see like what is actually going on, yeah. Yeah. and that's really helpful. So probably the next tip is to try to focus on like one, how you say this, one operating system, like one kind of cloud, because it's hard probably to combine Drive and Microsoft there, and then Evernote there. Probably your next tip would be. Decide for one of the, the sides. It's probably kind of similar anyway. I'm always very radical in what I do. Um, so I uploaded everything I have to the cloud 10 years ago already um, and live off that. Um, so my drive is pretty large. Um, so we call it, yes, we call it the core office tool. Um, you need something that is at the core of the company. Let's say you're a sales-based company that Salesforce could be the core tool and is a non-negotiable. If you're a very communicative-driven company like we are, very collaborative, G Suite may be the right tool or Office 365. Many agencies have both, though, because they work for clients and the clients yeah, tell them to do it. Have, yeah. um, but way too many companies say, oh, we need that because and um, end up with what we call a lost-in-the-cloud setup. So many, many, many tools and not clear rules how to use them. And that's horrific because we have different tools running. I don't use all of them in the company. I use the core tools. I focus on the core tools. I rely on the core tools. And this really uh, makes my day a lot less stressful. Yeah. Just out of curiosity... Um in the hard German market, there's quite a concern to put all your data to American servers, to Google itself. Even if they say our oh, servers are in Europe, it's still an American company. Do you see any European or German alternative to Google G Suite or to Microsoft's Office 365? No. <laughs> um, okay, so to elaborate a little bit more, um, we have to be clear here. Um, I'm aware of GDPR and everything. We prepared our clients years ago before it happened. We said publicly that Microsoft won't keep up the strategy with the service just in Germany because the, the big advantage of the cloud is the fragmented way you can store your data. There is no, I would like from everyday use, of course, many big players try it with own service and they're getting better that's for sure but on a way that you improve communication and collaboration there are the two big players g suite and office 365 clearly lotus notes is not even coming close um, many others are just like solutions for one thing dropbox yeah. is making an interesting part of it we are here again not talking about the german company so there is no player um, local based yeah. can doing that And we have also to say that the big tech countries are the States yeah. and China. Alibaba is coming with a service. Wing Seen is important as a chat service. So um, would you put your stuff to a Chinese server or to a US server? How is it called the Chinese service, the chat service? Uh, Wing Seen, WeChat. Ah, Wing WeChat Seen is the, the, Chinese, the name. Chinese name of WeChat. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah. Well, which it's definitely pretty interesting to see what you can do with a chat program. Um, but um, I would like to go back to your uh, study time um, because you're like quite an entrepreneurial person. So you had some quite some experience and you studied in business. Would you say it was worth the time? Was it, Do you still use what you learned in your studies? What would you say to that? I would. Um, I wasn't brave enough to do something else. I'm much more creative um, than I 
allowed myself to be. Um, and you definitely don't need business studies to do business. I just had a podcast guest who studied psychology and learned everything. He's an entrepreneur, so he did everything on for his business on the go. And you can definitely do that. So um, what the studies was worth for in St. Gallen was the very good people I met, still closest friends today and extremely, extremely good and very intelligent um, group of people. And, and, and that helps a lot. A good network. Um, And I was working on the side all the time, organizing stuff, doing stuff. And um, I still see value in allowing yourself to broaden the studies to do something completely different. Um, and the difficulty we have, especially in Germany, is that, that we want to have the answer to, okay, I study this and my job will be that, which is bullshit. Especially in a, in a world which changes rapidly and yes. we don't know what will still be valid or not there's some hints we could see but it's definitely not studying business probably more going into social <laughs> areas um then after your studies you worked for uh, ad advisory advisory um why did you do that like also you coming from the mm -hmm. from the entrepreneurial background why did you say uh, let's become go to a consultancy company mm, i would say even if it looks like um, that I'm very um, brave, uh, hard, clear character, I would say I have a very soft and sentimental side and it's quite easy to um, that I'm also impressed with stuff and I was unsecure of like what doing. I didn't know what exactly and I would say I'm not the best founder, definitely not. There are much better founders out there um, and I would say my core is much more something creative but not being a founder so i wasn't on the founding trip that early i found it interesting but my mentor back then um he said hey why don't you have a look then and you can look in the company and it was a deal in a different way than a normal um consultant yeah. so i show you the background how it's run and then said okay that's interesting i'm yeah. not doing a normal consulting job here so that's why why you're not the best founder what would you say Do you miss to be the best possible founder? Uh, maybe it's bullshit to say it. I'm, I'm too hard in judgment about myself. I, I'm by heart. I'm I'm a creative. By heart, I'm a creative. I love to be on the stage. I I, I love the videos we make. I love that. I, I I love the podcast. I love producing. I love creating. And um, I would say not founders. I, I would say leaders. There are much better leaders out there. People who are. Um, Yeah, who lead their company in a different way. I, I let go many times, which is good in new work ages when you have to let go more. I'm very good in letting go. Um, and then at the same time, I'm very um, strict with certain things. So sometimes I'm very clearly, I'm still people would say I'm a natural leader, but I'm super critic with myself and saying like, oh, there are much better leaders out there. And what would it be? Um better in keeping up with a certain routine, better in giving guidance sometimes. Um, the leadership style I have is much different from, from what you would say as a good leader. But if you would define a leader as someone who has followers, I would say I'm a leader. I definitely have followers in the company and around. And um, I take the responsibility, but I try to be self-aware enough to see like, okay, is it good? Is it bad? Like, what do I do right now? By the way, the only the only thing which decides if you're a good leader are your people, which you lead. If they say you're a good leader, you're a good leader. Um, would you? Which which things you are strict about? You said here some some things you're loose, some things you're strict. Which things you're loose? Which things you're strict? I'm very strict when it comes to communication in terms of like the tool use and stuff like that to find the stuff um, I usually don't forget stuff or sleep in or stuff like that so I'm very strict on these like process oriented things um, meetings on the day I, if I have a meeting I have a meeting I don't skip it um, I'm loose about routines I set up certain routines in companies so at the Kaufens for example the refurbishment company we had a management routine which we stuck to like every week same time same agenda super strict um, but in my heart I'm like oh I could sit in the cafe an hour longer and use that for thinking, um, which I these days think is much more important. Like this morning, I used the time 
to reflect a little bit and prepare the day. And now we're in the day and we run through it and it goes so fast um, that I don't have room to think. And yeah. yeah. So that's, for example, last week I had it some time and I felt like, okay, now it's getting difficult in my head. So I went, I, I took the car and, and drove out, out of Hamburg and actually took a long walk through the woods yeah. um, to use that for thinking, reflecting, refreshing, however you want to call it. To me, this is a work. Yeah, it's yeah. It's probably also the 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 another question like how you keep the <clears throat> work life balance and I know you would say, Hey, I do what I love, so why I should like do I separate there? But then it's another point how you said, like how do you know to stop the train to take the break? Yeah. Because it also makes too much fun to run the train. So how how do you know Or how do you handle this whole thing, work-life balance and know how to do breaks and uh, something? I don't. I have two kids. Um, so um, if I don't work, I have the kids. On, and, and, and where is the time for myself? It's very limited at the moment. Um, but I learned two things. Number one is to not give certain phases in my life an end date. No matter if it's a crisis or if it's a good time. We tend to give, um, we tend, like, let's say it's a crisis and then we think, oh, in, in six weeks the year is over and then next year starts. Uh, bullshit. The same stuff is happening the next day after New Year's. Um, and from a psychological perspective, this is really bad because we think stuff's going to change at a certain point. Instead of accepting the way how it is right now, I made it this way and I have to live with that right now. And I can decide every day which way I want to go. That is number one thing. And the second thing is I learned over the course of the last 10 years or 12 years that doing what I like and doing what I really want are different things, much different things. So um, there are days when I don't like the stuff we do right now because it's hard with the videos, uh, I have stress with some of my people, um, nasty comments, what, however you want to call it. But um, what wakes me up and, and keeps me going is that I realize it's not difficult to like make one podcast, one video and stuff like that, but to keep that going. And that's the difference between doing what you like and doing what you want. And um, that's a very important decision to make. And it took me a long time to learn that. Cool. Um, I can recommend you the book, um, The War of Art von Stephen Pressfield. It's also really interesting about, he talks about like to be a creative, it doesn't mean you only work when you feel like doing it. To be a creative means you work no matter what. And the other, the other point, the first point you said, it's interesting because I would say the opposite answer. If you would ask me this question, I would say sometimes, especially in hard situations and it's going on, it's going on and you fight for your life. What helped me was to set a certain date mm -hmm. and said, I want to have solved this until this, this date. Otherwise, I, I take off. I, like, I shut it down. So, this that's, uh, that's an interesting perspective, but that's psych psychologically. What you do then is you're, when you say, like, if you do, let's say we put it black and white. Let's say you put a date yeah. um, and it's not solved. Because with saying I solve it, you have the feeling you can solve it. Yeah, let's say it's raining today, but I need to record a video. How would you solve that? You can't. And I think we're, we tend to um, bullshit ourselves too often um, by um, saying we can influence certain things on the outside, but we can't. We, we, can, we cannot influence anything in our lives. Nothing. We can only influence how we react to it or how we respond to it. That's what we can influence. Of course, I run a company, I do the stuff, but seriously, that's a bunch of people doing what they want. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, they work in the same direction. I yeah. can be lucky every day. Yeah. So I could turn it the other way around and say, like, every day it works kind of fine. I could wake up and say, wow, it's still working. Crazy. Yeah. Let's have a party about that and not freaking out if it's not working because not working is actually the default. And that's why I think it's so dangerous to, like, put then an end date and say, I solved it because then the, 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 the primal brain kicks in and says, do I need to fight or flight now from this? And I personally have no good experience at all if I get to fight or flight mode for myself. Fighting is really bad. You don't want to have me fighting against you. Definitely not. 
flying is even fly, flying away is even worse for me because I really pull myself out of everything, communication and everything. So um, let's say uh, if that's something very personal, then I'm I'm gone. I blend yeah. that out, and yeah. psychologically, this is really bad for me and for you and for everyone involved. So that's why I say whatever we are in right now, and it's hard to put that into practice. I agree. Whatever we're in right now, let's say a bad phase in the company, is a tough phase, and I have to make everything work to like get through it. But having in mind that on Christmas Eve this thing is solved, which is then six weeks from now, for example, let's let me wakes up on the first of uh, the first uh, Christmas Day, one day after that, and saying, "Fuck, it's not solved," and then we tend to fall into uh, depression everything and we, we we know from psychology is really bad for people to to um to do that yeah. health wise as well so um, to give some more my side to the story um it's definitely uh, the moment is there and it never makes sense to resist the moment so ekatola the power of now it's like doesn't make sense at all but if you like work in the company side and like you build it up from the scratch so you know like you're the boss of Siemens and like mm -hmm. at the end it doesn't matter but like you build it up it's it's your baby and you grow it and you have a vision for it um you have the hard point that like the day-to-day -day stuff sure there's no way to resist it yeah. just go with it and try your best you know it works or it doesn't work but at the end you have to decide in the long run um can you pivot another time Or is it at the end a, da a dead horse? Because if it's a dead horse, yeah, okay. you should get off the dead horse. Yeah, yeah, okay. And But probably you could pivot until the end of your day if if you want to. So mm -hmm. it's it's probably not... like It's probably harder to do in a creative business because in creative business, there's like no real goal at the end. But if you're in a certain business area... But the same is true for... for yeah, but I, I, I get your point. Um, and I'm not good in saying when's a good time sometimes I'm really good and keep going yeah. and it's good to keep going and sometimes I'm bad and keep going and it would have been good to keep going so um, that's what I meant with I'm not a, a good leader there are certain people who realize much earlier it's a dead horse but the question is um, what is good and what is bad and that's a judgment and if yeah. you're on the judgment side and you read Eckhart Tolle and he's absolutely right then you're on your ego yeah. that is judging so for example if, if someone says yeah but he's not successful yeah. it's like how do you find success uh, he didn't sell his company you're like bullshit fuck you come on like yeah. where's that success compared to yeah. what many other people do all day long yeah. um, making good money growing the companies putting something good to the world or not even having a company and doing something good to the world and making yeah. a change because all these great companies out there including my company and many other large corporations how long will they exist exactly And we're not talking about some end of the universe ages. We're talking about like 100 years, 200 years and whatever. So I would definitely be a bit more humble as an entrepreneur. And the big, big, big shots that I met are usually very humble about that. Um, knowing, knowing that is so much luck involved to make that punch they have made. Yeah. And many who try to repeat that, calling themselves serial entrepreneurs, um, some of them are successful, defining success as founding another company. Some have a hard time to get that going, but this one lucky punch that some people made, very hard to make. And in a creative world, even worse, mm -hmm. yeah. being the Rolling Stones or Rammstein or whoever on stage continuously. And they are usually from their followership, from the influence, from the feeling the people are out there. So I'm, but, th but that's my philosopher side in myself so that's yeah as i said the more creative christoph yeah uh, how would you say that you define the new work uh, very clearly as a work as what your back once said that you really really want to do because work can become the thing that makes you stronger instead of weaker if you find something that you really really want to do it really can give you contribution to your health and everything and if not the job itself is it then you can use technology to organize that better to work less and then spend a third of your time um, doing what you really really want if you need money to like do that actually for example and to make you stronger you mean gives you energy or how would you define 
it makes you stronger. Yeah. It stronger in terms of a character, a person, healthier, um, everything. Because I mean, we work a large amount of our time, yeah. and if we think, uh, oh, at a certain point I stop working, it's bullshit. It gives us identity. We we we, we love working too much to um, give it up. Um, so you better find something that you really want to do, um, where you like leave work in the evenings and like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And then another question for the work-life balance. So how do you balance it out with your family? Because work is, especially if you found mm. your new work, uh, your family is probably still important. So how do you balance that out? Work in progress. It's blending. Um, my kids are small, so um, it's difficult to like take them along at certain points. Um, it's um, hard for me because I travel a lot. Um, so my wife and I have to like find ways to organize that and make that work um, that both can also have a fulfilling work and, and, and family life but um, if I spend time with my kids and definitely you could say um, it's not more than others have but it's a lot more than many other entrepreneurs do um, that I know then um, it's um, I, I try to like really dedicate that time to the kids and like do not communicate um, in that time on the phone, just have the um, two times call rule and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me on like because you said like they're not old enough to to bring along. It reminds me that like I think he must have twelve kids or something like crazy yeah, number, crazy. crazy. And then he said like yeah. And then I bring him to to a rocket factory. So bored. <laughs> they're not really interested. And all other kids in his mind were like go crazy. Yeah. They're in a rocket factory. Oh, they, they want their so, they want their dad. Yeah, that's what they want. They want their dad. Um. So. How how did you uh, explore the, the topic new work in general? We learn from people. I listen and learn from experts how they define it. Um, as a, it has a very strict definition, as I said. But um, talking to people, you can see how everyone sees it a bit different, and that helps really to like look at it from all different angles if it's a psychologist if it's a neuroscientist if it's an entrepreneur if it's a ceo everyone sees it a bit different um and i'm not the inventor of that i'm just one of the voices together with michael um to like bring it into the world i would say i'm the strict voice and telling people sorry but fruit bowls home office and open office spaces is not new work yeah. that's a good thing but it's not new work so Okay, like you said already, what New York is. Would you say there are any downsides to it or any things which made it make it problematic? I was criticized in press um, for the question I would leave open that how should a world look like where everyone want, do, does what he wants to do, which is in German saying like, which is not true for what New York is. You make your mind up about what you really, really want to do. How do you want to contribute? If more people would ask that question, definitely more people would leave their current job or reduce it to a certain amount and do something else. We're not brave enough many times to do that. A world that is much braver and not everyone runs crazy after that. Not everyone becomes an entrepreneur, so don't worry. There are many people who are happy with their job. There are also many people working by the book and are happy with that and use the other spare time to do something they really, really want. And this does not necessarily need to mean that everyone needs to become, I don't know, a social entrepreneur or stuff like that. Bullshit. Not everyone is made for that. But it would mean you have a much more honest work environment, a healthier work environment, because people made up their mind and say what they think and how they want, want to work. And you would challenge stupidity in the workplace. And you have so much stupidity going on in small You have stupid tools that don't work, sometimes stupid processes or a meeting. You sit in a meeting with so many people and you ask yourself the question like, why why am I here in this meeting? And you're not allowed to ask this question, which is a pink elephant in the room. <sighs> why? Yeah. So I would say um, the downsides, what are the downsides there? Like it's not a... Um, philosophy and saying everyone needs to work agile now or everyone needs to wear sneakers instead of a suit bullshit if you like to wear a suit wear a suit i don't give a shit then do it and if the company says this is the way we are we wear suits then don't join the company and ask for sneakers 
I mean, then you joined the wrong company. If the company doesn't like home office, many companies don't do it because they like the communication in the, in the, at the office. Don't join the company if you want to make home office. I mean, so that's to me, I would say there are a lot of upsides and a lot of potential and there is, we just made the first steps to, to a more honest uh, work environment. So probably you support quite highly the Bedingungsgrundeinkommen. I don't know the English word. Because out of my guessing, it would lead to exactly that. Because if you have the money off the table, the main money to survive, yeah. you can think more about what you want to do with your time. And that would probably lead to something which brings benefit to the society. I don't, be I don't believe so. I'm, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of it um, because it gives you certain security. But... Um, of course, there are people who would take it and work nothing because they're not motivated. But where does this not motivation come from? There is a deeper reason underneath it. Um, and there are other examples like the UAE, for example. With Abu Dhabi, you have a country where I think people can live a couple of hundred years without working um, just a single day because they have so much money. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. Of course, it's another extreme because you have to work. Um, I, I'm in, I like the idea that you have the basic needs always safe and secure. But the deeper issue is in our psychology of how we see the world. In a country that is more positive than Germany, for example, um, you most likely um, would take the Bedingungsgrundeinkommen much more as a, um, as a solid base and operate from there. Um, I think... I would say it's very difficult to establish it here. Um, we tend to make too many plans of the future and want to have security left and right, and then we would find the next issue. Let's say it's not enough or whatever. It's interesting. Like my solution for that problem, what you say is like that people are like not motivated to do anything. I would teach the people in school to learn to find what they're passionate about. And I would probably let the school system how it is because it's difficult to change. Like people would kill you. I would just make um, how you say this hobby classes mm -hmm. um, as forced that you need to do this as student, and the school is needs to provide them in a yeah. quite big variety, similar to the US a bit because they have it as well. So you can do guitar lessons, you can play chess, you can play soccer, whatever you want. And the only thing which forces, which is forced, is that you need to provide results. Soccer team needs to go on a tournament and win there. Mm -hmm. The chess thing needs to organize a chess tournament. The art guys need to make an art exhibition and so on. So you learned to work for something at the end and produce something in a, in a team or alone. And you can always change. Like you need to do it for, I don't know, six months and then you can change. But this, was, this would teach people to think for themselves, create something for themselves and learn something for themselves. And this would probably motivate people a bit more to if they would have more free time to do something sensible with it mm -hmm. would be interesting to see what happens if you put this in Abu Dhabi in, and if maybe they have it already and you could prove that's the wrong way I don't know that's just an idea in my head how it could work changing the school system is a, is a tough cookie but um, I would go a bit uh, before that and um, ask myself like why do people not come into school with that experience and that's the responsibility we as parents have and I have to ask myself um, how much time do I provide to my kids um, to um, actually also just see them and see who is that person of course they mirror adults and do what adults do but at a certain point they develop of course their own personality and, and we tend to put them in certain directions oh, now learning English and another instrument, of, instead of letting them play and explore and see and then helping that to grow, to flourish um, after they have their, 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 um, their bases at home. So I would say this is stuff we can change today, um, right away. I know how hard it is. I have kids. I know how hard it is to provide the time. I know how hard it is to like, put my own parents away. Really tough. Um, but that's the big opportunity we have and, and we have to take that responsibility we cannot give that to the school system or someone else I agree I would love an experiment like that um, 
I'm not afraid of stuff like that, but um, changing that is a tough cookie. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason why I would just set it on top and like not yeah, change yeah. the school system itself. Even yeah, how we say it, it's a tough cookie. And have like some also some interesting books and articles about it, and probably many more people will fail in like <laughs> changing it. Um, so you said like you learn mainly from podcast guests, mm -hmm. and what would you say were like your most interesting guests? You mm. learned the most. Way too many, way too many interviews. I mean, we did, I think, beyond 170 podcasts and 300 videos in the last three years. Um, oh, such so many. Just interviewed Leon Winscheid, super interesting guy, young entrepreneur, um, psychologist. Originally learned a lot uh, from him. Just right now, Warren Rustand, still one of my top favorite podcasts. Danda Pani, good friend from New York, former monk. Um, many, 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 many different ones. Very hard to say. The best things um, are always related to like how you deal with fear, how you how you um, leave your comfort zone. Like Philip Bergman is also a good episode. Um, and to realize that there is no straight line and that everyone has his or her story um, in a very individual way. And like even accepting the story as your life is one of the most important learnings hard thing to do to summarize yeah cool um then uh, i always like to ask the question what are your favorite books which books you would recommend um my number one read is uh, victor frankel man's search for meaning yeah um that's always my number one recommendation i have to say um i read but since i'm a father i didn't read the last years too much i have to admit i love to read a lot i read a lot of seneca in the old days um i also love the book um, walden from henry david thoreau um so i have the extremes in myself uh, extreme technology but also extreme nature um and reducing everything to the minimum um that's good um let me think and go through the younger um, Kindle books I have um, Four Agreements The Four Agreements very good one you can, could sum them up but, and it would be enough uh, but uh, the book is good as well it's uh, simple very simple Four Agreements um, to be aware of the impeccable of your word um, never take anything personal um, never make assumptions and always do your best and there's a book about that very good read That's not only free. That's for missing no. Word. The first is the impeccable of your word. Ah, okay. Be impeccable with, with okay. your word. Um, okay. Always do your best. Uh, never make assumptions. Never take anything personally. Um, yeah. Would be book recommendations. And my last question I'd like to ask: um, If you could go back in time to your 18 or 20 year old self and tell him something, what would you tell him? Yeah. Um, study your th your filmmaking thing or think of something more creative than studying business but um, enjoy I would I would tell my 18 year old so enjoy life life is not that that serious enjoy it and would you tell something different to your older self like to your let's say 30 or something self look on your life um, and accept it as your life Uh, with uh, every uh, up and down, seeing the colors and contrast, the mountains and the valleys um, with the same uh, gratitude. <laughs> nice last words. Thank you very much. Thank you for the questions. <laughs>